Hey mamas, welcome back to the episode. This week you are listening to an interview with my friend Lauren Wilbur called Faith and Fertility. And I thought each week I would start off with a review. So let me read to you one of the reviews about the podcast. This one is from Excited Mom of Three, and it says, I love listening to Melissa. It's real and raw. It's just what I need to hear so I can connect better to God. All moms need to listen. Thanks, Excited Mom of Three. I appreciate that you're listening to the show. If you haven't left a podcast review yet, please do that. I would love to hear from you what you love about the episode. So without further ado, here is my friend, Lauren Wilbur. Hey, mamas, you're listening to the Mom Squad Podcast, a faith-driven show for moms on the merry-go-round of motherhood. I'm Melissa Wheelahan, your host. I'm a mom, educator, entrepreneur, coach, and trainer. I have spent the last 25 years being a mom, and believe me, I have been through it all. The one constant in my journey has definitely been Jesus. So I'm on a mission to help other moms Stop feeling overwhelmed, overcommitted, and all alone. I believe that when you center your motherhood journey in your identity in Christ, build community with other moms, and let go of societal norms that can get in the way, you will experience the abundant life that we are promised through Christ's grace and love. If you are ready to get unfiltered, unhinged, and unapologetically authentic, then you have come to the right place. Pull up a seat, grab a cozy blanket, and maybe even a cup of tea, because we are jumping off this merry-go-round with hearts open and hands up. Let's go. Okay, happy Monday, everybody. I am super glad you're here for this episode I am very excited and totally honored to have my friend Lauren on the podcast today. Lauren was the catalyst that started this podcast. If you listen to the intro podcast, you heard me speak about Lauren, and I am so happy that she's finally here to talk about her book that she wrote and her journey through motherhood. And so Lauren, thank you so much. And I'm just going to hand it over to you and you just, whatever you want to say, go ahead. You're so sweet. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, every time you say that I was the catalyst, it just erupts all these feelings in me. We'll, we'll get into those, but I'm just, it's just so much validation that the Lord's hand has been, you know, in my story and in my journey. Um, and it's just, it's a really beautiful thing to look back on. So just every time you say that my insides like bubble over. So thank you. Um, yeah, so uh, a little introduction. Um, I wear a couple different hats. I am a wife. Um, my husband and I have been married for, it'll be 10 years in July. Um, I am a mom to Caden and Henry. Caden is five and a half, going on 15. Um, and Henry is two and a half and the sweetest little guy. I am also a full-time working mom and I work at a big four accounting firm. And I am soon to be a published author in two months or less. So really excited to be going through that process. And it's kind of another full-time job, but this has been a, a passion project for me. So background on my story, it's 
it's interesting when I look back. So when I was younger, I always wanted to be an author. Um, and in high school, I, I started writing books um, and, you know, fantasy stories, right? Like about other people or different things, nothing about myself. And I would get a lot of momentum and then it would go nowhere. Like I just couldn't keep it up and I didn't know where the story should go. And then I'd kind of give up. So I had all these started stories that never ended anywhere. And then at some point, you know, I kind of grew out of it and thought, well, maybe I'm not really a writer. You know, maybe I just like, like to journal, but I'm not a writer. Um, went to college, pursued a degree in psychology, decided that wasn't for me. Um, then took a really hard right turn and went to business school. And how I ended up in accounting is still an utter mystery to me and my parents. <laughs> but here I am now in a career 10 years later and love it. Um, but it's funny because then I was faced, um, you know, with a challenge in my life early on. So my husband and I, a couple years into our marriage, like a lot of other young couples, um, decided, no, it's time. Let's start trying to have a baby. And you know, a lot of our friends were in the same season. And so it was this really exciting bonding time. And we were all super pumped about this. Um, you know, and I grew up being told that if I stand too close to a boy, I'm going to get pregnant. So I just figured this was going to be easy peasy, you know, going to remove the goalie and wham, bam, I was going to be pregnant. Um, and that just didn't happen for us. Um, and in the beginning, it was okay because, you know, me and all my friends were trying and no one kind of got it that first month. And then, you know, we're still kind of in it and it's fun and maybe it'll be this month and it's exciting. But then everyone started to get pregnant, except me. And it kind of kept going on and then babies were being born. And I was still not pregnant. And on and on it kind of went. And then I just, you know, I remember my husband and I, we went to this, um, preconception course at a local hospital and it was to tell you all the things that you should do to help yourself get pregnant we're like oh this is the key and they talked about making sure you're getting a lot of sleep and I was like oh yeah yeah that's that's got to be it I'm just not sleeping enough you know make sure you're taking your vitamins okay maybe that's it maybe that's it so we're all feeling good and then they kind of went through the statistics of it of you know within one year you know this percentage of folks should be pregnant and it not then it should be this much and on and on and then it got to if you didn't get pregnant in a year if you didn't get pregnant in this many months you're part of this wonderful seven percent um that has you know fertility challenges and I remember just my heart sinking and looking over at my husband Mike and thinking oh my gosh is that us do we have fertility problems um so it took us down this road of, you know, talking to my, my doctor, going to see fertility doctors. We did um, IUI procedures, which I lovingly call the, the turkey baster. So there's your visual. So I don't have to go into too much detail. Um, and then ultimately we ended up doing IVF um, to get to both Kate and Henry. So before Kate and I had a miscarriage, um, and then between Kate and Henry, I had a miscarriage with a, um, a genetically normal embryo, and then I had two embryos that were transferred that didn't um, didn't implant. So between Kate and Henry, there were three transfers, and then Henry. So um, it's like when I thought that I had finally found the cure with IVF, I was slapped with phase two of my infertility story. 
but I say all this to, to kind of say now, when I look back and, you know, going through all of this, which, you know, was over the course of eight years, um, I started journaling, right. Because I'm just so stinking angry and confused and nothing makes sense to me. And so I would just write it out of how mad I was. Um, and after going through this, you know, to get to Caden and ultimately to, to get to Henry, I had found that I had written a book, you know, and I just, and it's so funny because when I wrote the, the intro to, to my book, you know, I, I write about this of how it's so funny, how God placed this dream on my heart to be a writer. Um, and I've always been told that I, I'm good with words and the way that I express myself, but it just never manifested in anything meaningful. And then the one story I would really have loved to have not told is the story, of course, he gave me, you know, <laughs> that's how God works, right? <laughs> works, And it's and I and I also talk about in my book, too, of, you know, knowing what I know now and being who I am now, if I could choose to go through this again, would I? And I'm very honest with my readers. I say, no, no, it was terrible. It was like the worst years of my life. It was traumatizing. And, you know, I went through, you know, deep spells of depression. And I, you know, I really learned some of those deep, ugly parts of myself. And I, you know, nah, no, I don't want to do that again. But I also can be mature enough to say, but I wouldn't be who I am today. And, and there were pieces of me absolutely that needed that sandpaper type of refinement. Um, I am so much gentler now to people. I'm kinder. My judgment is like non-existent. I'm humble beyond measure. You know, I just, um, it's not the story I wanted, but it was the story I needed to tell. Um, and I just feel like God really used this story um, to really honor him. And, I, and I'm honored to be a vessel as the worst experience of my life, um, but to be used in such a way for his glory um, has really transformed my life and my faith. That is so awesome. I, I remember when you had Caden and we did the meal train for you. And I just, I remember going over there and just sitting there and I, I was so happy for you because you know, we, we met through Mike, like we met through your husband because your husband and I sang on the praise team and we lovingly call ourselves the hashtag crew, me, him and Brooke. And, and so I, um, you know, it just it, watching your story and watching you come this full circle has been really, really fun, really fun. So is there a part in a part that relates to that in your book you want to read to us? Oh, Gosh, you know, there, there's a couple things, you know, when I think about kind of your pillars and what's important to you um, in your podcast, I was kind of going through my book on, you know, what would I pull out of that? Um, and one thing, you know, I got told a lot when I was going through my journey that, you know, I'm, I'm brave, I'm brave, I'm brave. Um, and I always rejected that <laughs> because I was like, well, I, I feel like bravery is not quite like the title for that. It's, um, I don't know what it is. It's like, I have no choice, right? Like this is my only way to get to motherhood. I don't feel like I'm brave. I felt, um, you know, so ugly going through that. You know, and I think about your pillar of, of our identity in Christ and um, just feeling ugly on the outside, you know, from all the the shots and the, the bruising and the weight gain and the acne and all the hormone effect. 
and I felt ugly on the inside, you know, from the anger and the jealousy and the depression. And when I was thinking about your pillar of, you know, what is our identity in Christ? You know, it, it brought me to these verses. Um, and I read about this in the, my book. So I, I do want to read these to you. Um, God says, you are precious and honored in my sight. Isaiah 43, 4. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I think that's so sweet, kind. Jeremiah 31, 3. And then he says, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning that when we were at our ugliest, Christ said, you are worth dying for. Mm. It's a lie. I mean, so, so when we claim our identity in Christ, we claim who we truly are, that we are deeply loved and valued and prized children of God that are worth our heavenly father dying for us for the sole purpose to love us forever. And I think about, you know, when I went through this journey, I was just so deeply wounded and depressed. And I, I mean, I hate to use the word hate, but I, I hated who I was. I hated who I became. I remember telling Mike, you know, I don't know who I'm going to be on the other side of this. Like just my ugliness just boiled up in such an uncontrollable way. I thought, gosh, like I'm so unlovable and so unworthy. And then, you know, you hear these verses and, and Christ looked at me and said, I would die for her as ugly as she feels right now. I see her for who she really is. You know, it's, it's such an incredible thing. And I, and I write a lot about, um, and I've struggled with this up until recently and quite frankly still do of feeling a lot of shame around being infertile. And I don't know if it's the way I was brought up of, you know, there's kind of stigma sometimes in the church around doing IVF and playing God. If it's my age, um, I can't tell you how uncomfortable it is to sit in fertility clinics and you're by far the youngest looking person and everyone just kind of looks at you like, oh, she's just impatient and someone must be giving her money or something ridiculous, right? No, no, no. I went in debt like everybody else. Um, <laughs> but it's it's hard, right? Like I just, I felt such embarrassment of like, gosh, you know, I am young. Like this should be my prime time, grind time. Like this should be easy and just feeling so embarrassed that there were, you know, friends up until recently that I didn't even tell that I did IVF because I'm still struggling with the decision itself, honestly. Um, and just feeling bad to share that, Hey, I couldn't do this, you know? Um, so, you know, and then, you know, I think about, you know, community and, and how I, how I actively isolated myself from community during these times, um, for Caden's pregnancy, you know, I never said anything about IVF nothing, never post anything about it. Never said anything. I was struggling. If you weren't in my inner circle of like two people, um, you didn't know that there was ever in anything. You just thought I got pregnant and that was it. And it wasn't until Henry that I think, um, I think God kind of said, you know what? I thought I, I helped you to kind of learn a lesson here. And I don't think you quite learned it just yet. So now we're going to, you know, keep bumping you along here because so my son, um, at, so he was a IVF transfer as well. And then he finally stuck because I mentioned there were three transfers before him. So he sticks, everything's going well. And then I think, okay, good. You know, we're done with this on we go. Um, and at 24 weeks, it's actually the week before Easter. We always do a family Easter with my in-laws. And so my 
um, mother-in-law and father-in-law and my husband's sisters and their kids, they all come over to our house and we do an Easter hunt in the backyard and we do kind of our Easter all together. It was a perfect day, felt good. It's always, like I said, the week before Easter. Um, go to bed that night and I'm 24 weeks. Go to bed that night and I wake up feeling like a rush of fluid come out of me. Hmm. And I just, and it's like three in the morning and I think to myself, Hmm. Did my water just break? Now I never experienced that with Caden. Um, but that was the only thing I can kind of describe to you what it felt like, like a, like a brush, you know? So I thought, Hmm, that's unique. Uh, go to the bathroom and to my absolute horror, I am just profusely bleeding Hmm. just in a very intense way. Um, I yelled to Mike, I say, bring me my phone. He brings me my phone. He looks at me. I look at him and I say, I can't stop bleeding. I uh, call my doctor. Uh, they put me on hold really quickly, get back on the phone and say, uh, go to labor and delivery and don't hesitate. I was like, okay. So, you know, I get out of the bathroom. I'm like taking a wad of toilet paper and like shoving it in my pants to try to get this thing to stop. Um, and I'm like in shock, you know, like what is happening? Mm-hmm. Um, Mike starts to kind of pack up his bag and he goes, okay, you know, I've got my stuff, you know, I'll go get Caden and then we'll go. And I was like, nope, nope, nope. You stay here. Cause I have no idea what comes after this. And we're not waking up Caden for what could be like the absolute worst day ever. Like you stay here with her, let her sleep. I'll let you know when I know anything. Um, and that's just the right thing to do right now. Um, so I went down the stairs and he was like, are you sure? Can you drive? And I was like, I don't know, man. So we <laughs> I, uh, I get in the car and I drive. Um, and I always laugh because I'm like, God gave me every green light except that last one, which I did run, but you know, <laughs> me, no cops. So it's cool. Um, but so it gets to the hospital, but I'm praying the whole time because I'm realizing I have yet to feel Henry move. Mm. So I'm like, you know, praying and I'm holding my belly and I'm praying while I'm driving and I'm like, God, you know, make Henry move. Tell me he's alive. I can do anything if I know he's alive. Like, please don't take this baby. You, you promised me that you were going to come through on this. You know, we've been praying for this baby so hard. You know that I will absolutely lose my freaking mind if I don't get to this baby. Like, I just can't do it. I can't do it. You've got to give me this baby. So get to the hospital, check it. I'm like waddling in with like all my toilet paper between my legs, get upstairs. They check me in and they're, you know, putting the the monitor band on me. And right before they flick on the machine to see if he's got a heartbeat, he kicked me, the baby. Mm. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then they're like, the baby's fine. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Then the rest is fine. So then we learned that I had a really funky uh, placenta. So I had placenta pools. I don't know if anyone out there has had them. If you do, let me know. Cause it's, I describe it in my book as you got a cheese pizza. That's like how your placenta should look. I had a pepperoni pizza. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the pepperonis were these like pools of blood. So now mm-hmm. you'll never eat pepperoni pizza again. So that's, <laughs> so what happens is these little pepperonis would like leak, right? So as the baby grew, he'd push on it and leak them out. But the problem is when you're, when you start bleeding, then your body thinks, Ooh, it's time to deliver the baby. And then you'll go into labor, but Henry's 24 weeks. He's not ready to be delivered. So then I had to go through this process of, um, getting IVs to stop my body from contracting and trying to go into labor. And you can only do the IV so many times. So then they would put me on medication. So every three hours around the clock from 24 weeks to 34 weeks, when I ultimately had Henry, I had to set alarm when I was home 
or when I was in the hospital, a nurse would wake me up every three hours to take pills to stop contracting. Um, and you can only go so high in the dosage. So I maxed that out. I maxed out my IV thing. Um, they would give you this shot. It felt like a little bee sting, but it would make your whole body shake. You only do this like bee sting shot twice. Um, I had to sign consents twice for emergency C-sections for Henry. The first time was that 24-week visit. Um, and, you know, I met with NICU doctors multiple times and they would sit me down and tell me what were the chances that Henry would survive. Um, it was the worst. Mm. And I had done such an excellent job isolating myself that I had no one to go to. It was like my pastors knew, my husband knew, and like two friends of my family. And quite frankly, it's just, it's too big of a burden for just those few folks to carry, you know, like it's just it's a lot. And, you know, I was checked in and out of the hospital for Henry. I think it was five times and I would stay for a week at a time. And so my community thing, me keeping myself so isolated really blew up in my face because for Henry, we got close to his shower and I was hospitalized because I would get out of the hospital and then bleed, come back to the hospital and then get out of the hospital, bleed, come back to the hospital. This is my journey. Um, and so it was, you can't get discharged until you stop bleeding for 48 hours. That was always the name of the game. So my shower's coming up. My mother-in-law had planned this day. It was at a restaurant that I wanted to be at. Everything was perfect. I was so excited. Um, and, uh, you know, I bleed because that's my jam. And so I'm in the hospital and I'm begging my doctor. I said, if there's a world in which this 24 window just lines up where like, I could get out of the hospital. Would you let me go to this restaurant and be at my shower? Because when I wasn't at the hospital, I was on strict bed rest at home, so I couldn't leave my bed. I said, please, would you let me do this? Could this be the one exception? The doctor, after I just hound her and hound her and hound her, finally one day she comes in, she goes, if you don't bleed for 24 hours, I will let you go to your shower and I'll look away. Like, do the thing and then come right back. And I was like, okay, this is perfect. And then everyone's going to think that I'm normal, you know, because I haven't said anything on Facebook and no one knows that I'm like, this huge mess. And not only can I not get pregnant, but gosh, I can't stay pregnant. And no one's going to know. Um, so it's so comical because the 20, the 48 hours like happens, right? Doctor comes in, she goes, you did it. You're good. Go get dressed. And then the other nurse is going to come in. You'll sign your discharge papers and you're free as a bird. And I'm like, I did it. I did it. Like I fooled everyone. I got it. I'm literally in the bathroom, taking off my, my hospital gown putting on my pants and I feel this little feeling and I'm like, no, no, no devil. Don't you come for me. Oh, he did. I'm bleeding. <clears throat> I was, I can't even tell you. I just like sat in bed. The nurse comes and she goes, I've got your forms. I go, no, there's no form. I'm done here. I'm bleeding. That's it. This is my life. Um, so she goes, well, I'll just leave you alone for a minute to process that. I go, please do like nothing productive is going to come from this conversation. So she leaves, she comes back. She goes, I have an idea for you. What if you have your shower here at the hospital? We have a boardroom. Oh, a boardroom. Um, and she's like, and you can have everyone come here, blah, blah, blah. So I call my husband. I go, is she out of her mind? Like, a I got my shower at the hospital. But my whole MO is like, no one knows. Everyone needs to think that, like, I have it all together. Um, I go, why don't you go to the shower for me? And then you could FaceTime me. And then we're talking, talking, talking. And then at some point, I was like, you know what? I will. I'll do it at the show. I'll do it at the hospital because then all I have to do is tell the 20 people that I've invited. And that's it. Just those 20 get to know. 
Um, and we'll do it the hospital that way. I can enjoy opening the gifts and Kaden can be there, blah, blah, blah. So this is my exception. I'm like, I'll step slightly forward, 20 more people in the know, no more than that. So what I didn't think about though, was the fact that these 20 people have no stinking idea that any of this has even happened, right? So now all of a sudden they're getting an email like, hey, instead of this beautiful restaurant that we're going to go to, come to the hospital boardroom. <laughs> well, not thinking about them. You know, I, um, I hired people to come to my hospital room um, and do my hair and makeup. You know, like I was going to fake it through and through. I had preeclampsia at the time. So I was like swollen. Like my face was huge. My feet were huge. And I just looked like, like a real plump Thanksgiving turkey. So then I can't walk because I'm on bed rest. So they're like wheeling me in a wheelchair. I'm still on my IV, still not thinking at all that any of this is weird. <laughs> I told them, you know, they wheel me into the room. I come around the corner and all my sweet guests just look at me like, what is happening? You know? And then I realize, okay, the jig is up. I'm going to have to tell them. So I say, you know, Thank you all for coming and welcome to my nightmare pregnancy. <laughs> um, and I tell them this has been terrible. I'm scared out of my mind. I'm worried every second that Henry's going to die. And this is where I'm at. And I'm stuck to this IV and in this wheelchair until, you know, the foreseeable future when this little guy is ready to come out and it's terrible. Um, and we spent my whole shower with people hugging me and loving on me and encouraging me. And we opened Henry's gifts and we ate good food, and I ate cake, um, and, you know, it was the saddest little shower ever, <laughs> but it's, it's absolutely my fault that it was so sad, um, because I wasn't honest, um, so then I get my pictures from the shower, right, all my friends send me on their phones the pictures that they took, there's no way around avoiding the IV, you can't avoid the wheelchair, and you really can't avoid the ambiance of a boardroom, like, people were going to be like, so it's either, I can't post it all about my shower or I'm going to have to like tell the world, this is my story. So I did. Uh, and I was brave and I said, yeah, I had my shower today. It was great. And like, here's what's happening. You know? And I didn't say everything, but I said, you know, I'm scared and I've been in the hospital and this is what's happening. And from that moment forward, it was a completely change of scenery. You know, I spent all my time in the hospital, those weeks and months before sitting there totally isolated and alone. You know, my husband's working full time. He's watching our daughter. I have very few friends who know. And so I'm not really getting checked in that much, right? I've got like one hour a day that Mike would come with Caden to visit me and then they would leave. And then I would just sob in my hospital bed, you know, and eat that sad hospital food and just be like, I am so depressed. I'm so lonely. I'm so alone. Um, and I prayed a lot, but it just, it wasn't the same, right? And so, but once I opened up, and truly opened up and lived out. This is my authentic experience with my pregnancy. And it's the worst thing ever. You know, every second of the day, I was getting texts from someone, messages from someone on Facebook or social media. Um, my husband got meals brought to him, which took one thing off his plate. The nicest thing was people bringing me meals because hospital food is just, you know, a dumpster fire. It's terrible, mm -hmm. you know? And there was never a moment, I remember like, teasing being like am I ever gonna be alone again just to take a nap because I was so like people were just constantly showing up and, and visiting with me um and so I just think about how God I have to remind myself right 
God uses people to be his hands and feet. Mm-hmm. You know, he was there for me anytime I needed him. Absolutely. And I felt him, but he knew I needed hands and feet, mm-hmm. you know, and he was going to keep pushing on my heart and keep putting me in situations until ultimately he broke me to say, be honest so that I can use my people to love on you. So I can use people to love on you and show you how much I love you, you know, and, and he did. And so, and this has been just such a, a journey for me in being honest, you know, um, and just living with my crutch and, and almost leading with my crutch, right? Because this is the way that I bring glory to him is saying, look at this impossible thing and look what he did with it. Look at the beauty he made in the ashes, you know, look at the, look at what he did with this story, you know, and the people who, who showed up for me during that time, they remember it you know, and, and they have told me, you know, it was, it was a privilege to be there with you and to love on you. And so Henry's two and a half. And, um, you know, when we go to church still today, there will be people I've never met before. And they'll come up to me and say, Oh, we were praying for you and Henry. And then I just cry because I, as I tell my daughter to go, why are you crying? And I go, Kate and I cry in two extremes, extremes. If I'm really sad or I'm really happy. And so she'll always ask, are you really sad or really happy? And so sometimes at church, these people come up to me, I'll start crying. And she goes, she's really happy. You know, <laughs> That is such a great lesson in becoming vulnerable yeah, and really allowing people to uh, help you like friends help you because people want to help and people want, and I'm imagining that those friends that those friendships are a lot stronger now because you were able to be vulnerable with those people and allow them in. Um, as much as you had, you know, you had said, like, you became a lot more humble, like as much as your pride needed to be like knocked down, like God was like, Oh no, no girlfriend, like it, it's happening. And you're going to remember that you're not getting out of this. Right. We're going to, so I, I love that story because I think, um, yeah, that's a hard lesson to learn. Right. Just, and through that, you were able to learn that one of the things you had sent me some stuff about your book. And I love. I love this picture of you and your husband in your superhero socks. It's just the best picture. So when people read your book, they need to go look at that. But um, tell us uh, about just staying strong after. Mm -hmm. And like, I also want to know, like, what is the biggest lesson you've learned? So tell us, like, how did you stay strong through that? I think you've talked a little bit about that. But like, after that, how have you just kind of stayed strong you guys look so young in this picture <laughs> you look old now but like the picture of you guys you guys look so young in that picture well we were everyone's like Mer. so that superman picture so each chapter in my book i've got a picture that goes kind of along and i've got a bible verse that i kind of write on and then there's a there's a picture to kind of go with it to tell the story so um melissa's reference to the superman is um i got superhero socks um, from Mike and I to wear when I did my egg retrieval. Um, so it's where they, you know, put you out and they go and harvest your eggs like you're a chicken, you know. Uh, and then Mike does his contribution, you know, in another room. And then some wonderful doctor puts our pieces together and makes our babies. Um, and so we wore a superhero socks so we could feel connected during that and to, to remind us to be brave. Um, I also had made Mike a little um, IVF survival um, goodie basket. Um, I had found beer 
that the label of the beer has little smiley sperm on it. I kid you not. Um, so that was in his basket, his superhero socks. Um, I wrote him a letter apologizing for being the absolute worst person while I was on all these hormones mm. and making no promises that I would be any better on the other side, but that I loved him. Mm-hmm. And then I think I put like baby food pouches in this little basket for him. So I was like, this, this is what you got when you chose me. Like, aren't you so lucky? Um, so staying brave, this is, this is hard, um, for me, but I laugh because the phrase do not be afraid is written in the Bible 365 times. I mean, a coincidence, I think not, right. You know, God knew every day, (laughs) every stinking day, because God knew this was going to be some hard stuff that we were going to face. And he is telling us every single day, trust me, trust me, look to me, do not be afraid. It's me. I'm in control. I'm the one. I, everything that comes into your life, though it may be a surprise to you and may jolt you and may confuse you, is not a surprise to me. It is not jolting me. It is not confusing me. I know time is infinite for our God. He knows everything that's coming, everything that's been, everything that will be. And so nothing is rattling him. He's planned for it. He's accounted for it. He's got a way to, to work it for good for those who call him, you know, their Lord and Savior. And so it's that constant reminder, you know, do not be afraid. I've got this, you know. Um, and so when I studied in the Bible of, you know, what does brave look like? Does it mean that I'm supposed to have no fear? Because oh my gosh, all I have is fear. I mean, even when I got pregnant with Caden, it's like, I would constantly keep my legs, you know, crossed so tight thinking she's going to like fall out of there or something. It's just, it's so overwhelming, the fear. And you think that once you go through infertility, when you're pregnant, you'll breathe. Mm-hmm. No, it's like, you don't breathe till the baby comes. I remember like, I've got a picture in my book of the first time, you know, Caden's on my chest and like the look on my face is like, I'm just sobbing and I'm so overwhelmed because I'm like, there she is. Like she's alive. I can see that she's breathing. Like I can't, it's so much stress. Um, But when I did research in the Bible in terms of what does bravery look like? Like how does God call us to be brave? And what does that look like? I was really reassured that it wasn't that I was never supposed to have fear. um, And that I couldn't come to him and I had to be this like rock solid person because if that's the goal, like just count me out. Mm -hmm. So the first one, and I kind of, write them out thematically. The first was to be comfortable in being uncomfortable. Mm. Um, that's, that's being brave, just, you know, being in this uncomfortable space and just kind of wrestling with it is being brave. Um, I think of the story of, you know, when Peter is, you know, in the boat with the disciples and, and the storm comes and it's rattling the boat and Jesus is out on the water and Peter looks to him and Jesus says, Peter, you know, come to me, come walk to me. Now they're in the water, right? It's thrashing. There's a storm. It's violent. You could die. You could drown. And Jesus just chilling out there like, yo, come over here and come hang out. You know, it's all good. You know, so in order for Peter to get to Jesus, he's going to have to step out of the boat and walk on water. Like no one's ever done that before. Plus, you know, there's a storm happening. It's not like it's like smooth water and it's water. Hello. You can't walk on water. So Peter starts out and, you know, he's looking at Jesus. He's looking at him and he is doing the thing, right? He's walking and then he starts to doubt. And it's the moment he's not looking at Jesus. It's the moment he starts to doubt 
that then he sinks. You know, and it's it's such a beautiful visual reminder of of the chaos that surrounds us in this world and that we can't look down, we can't look away from Jesus. We have to fix our eyes upon him. And that although this is so uncomfortable around us, we have to wrestle with that and live in it, but look to Jesus and keep our eyes fixed on him so we can walk on the storms of life, right? I love them. So good. So good. And then the second is to make peace with your past, with your path. So I love this. Um, Jesus' crucifixion story is, is so good. It's just, it's so rich to me because Jesus is this, this perfect uh, God made in flesh, human being, and um, he does everything right. And he never commits a sin and he's perfect and loving and just and wonderful. Um, you know, and he, he goes through, you know, temptations by the devil and, and nothing, nothing rattles him. Nothing gets to him. You're like, man, like then everyone tells me that, you know, this Jesus is supposed to understand me and he's supposed to know what I'm like and what my struggles are like because he's been tempted, but he overcame though. So I'm like, well, I mean, kind of, you know, but I mean, he's God. And so yes, he was tempted, but he didn't do it. So does he really understand? Cause I mean, I fall victim to all my temptations. <laughs> no, but it's it's the crucifixion story that to me um really does it for me for Jesus. And it's because in the Garden of Gethsemane, um he prays a prayer I just love. Um, and he asked God, if God would be so willing, would you take this cup away from me? Oh yeah. There's this human moment. God, I know that this was my, this was my journey. This was my purpose, um, was to die, to save, to save the creation, to save everyone, to, to hold everyone's the weight of everyone's sin that ever was, that ever is, that ever will be that whole massive burden on my shoulders. I know what the task is. I know what it is. I know what I'm called to do. I know what my purpose is. He is clear as day, right? And yet he has this very beautiful human moment of saying, but if there's any other way that we could accomplish the same goal, but like not do the crucifixion, not torture me, not beat me, that whole bit, if there was any other path, could we do that? Mm. I love that. I love that. And there's where I'm like, ah, oh, there's my Jesus. There's the man who I believe absolutely knows what this feels like, because my goodness, have I prayed. And I know, and it's, you know, others who are listening and it doesn't have to be a fertility thing. How many times have we asked God, if you could, could you take the cup away? Mm-hmm. Take the mm-hmm. cup away. It's so beautiful. And then he says something that I promise you, I would have never said a prayer, which is, um, but if not, your will be done and not mine. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear. I always want my will. <laughs> but this is why he is God and I am not Um, but I love that and it's and it's a reminder of we have to find peace with the path that God has given us because there is a purpose in it God does not answer Jesus' prayer he does not take the cup away Jesus does suffer Mm. right there is a very big loud unanswered prayer in that uh you know, Jesus calls out from the cross, you know, he's, he's upset. This hurts. This sucks. Why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. This is hard. We have felt that way too on, in our earthly experience. 
we feel forsaken at times as well. But when you're, if you're in God's throne, I can only imagine what he's seeing there being like, I know, I know this hurts. I know this sucks. I know this is terrible, but oh my gosh, wait till you see what I did with this. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. You just nailed it. Wait till you see what I will do with this. Yes. See, I know this sucks right now, but this is like, I love this phrase. So I'm going to use it on your podcast. This is a fart in the wind. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. for the glory of what is to come, this is a fart in the wind. Mm-hmm. Like what Jesus done for, did for mankind in that suffering, what you and I do in our earthly sufferings. I mean, it's just, he's sitting there going, I know this sucks. Just you wait and see what I'm going to do. So making peace with knowing that your path, although it's going to be bumpy and we'll all have our own challenges and different challenges, there is a glorious purpose to it. I promise you for everyone, every single one of you, that is God's promise to you. And the last piece of being brave is being patient. Um, Anyone who's gone through fertility struggles, we all love Sarah. Sarah and Abraham wanted a baby so bad. Um, Sarah, I think I read, waited three, uh, decades for her baby. I mean, what? When the angel of the Lord told her, well, you're going to have a baby. You are going to conceive a baby. Bless her soul. She laughed. You know, I would too. I'd be like, okay, you know, only 300 years young, you know, bring it on. Um, she gets impatient, right? She worries. She starts to think, you know, maybe God forgot about that promise. Maybe that wasn't real. Um, and she uses her maidservant Hagar to give to her husband to, um, you know, try to build a line then for her husband. Uh, it's like the, the very first egg donor, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, but so, and ultimately, you know, you look at how God responded to that, right? You know, God tells Sarah straight up, I'm going to give you a baby. She goes, "Mm, I don't know about that. And, you know, she employs her donor eggs and she, you know, the baby's born to Hagar and Abraham. And, um, and God doesn't get mad at her. He doesn't say anything to her. Doesn't get mad at Hagar. Um, what he does is actually, he still follows through on his promise. She still gets her baby. She still gets Isaac. Um, he doesn't say because you went and did your own thing, you know, no baby for you. No, he says his promise. He honors his word and our God always follows through on his promises. Um, she gets her baby and he blesses um, both Hagar's baby and Sarah's baby and protects both those children um, because he's loving and kind and wonderful. And there's no guilt in it. There's no shame in it. Um, he's loving to both of those women and to both of those sons. Um, so I just love this because it's not, you have to be brave and perfect and strong all the time. It's, it's, you're, you are welcome to wrestle with the uncomfortable, but fix your eyes on Jesus, right? Don't sink in it. Um, you know, make peace with your, your path, knowing that God is going to work all of this for a good that you can't even fathom truly. Um, and to be patient, to know that if God has placed something on your heart, whether it's motherhood or whatever it is that you're going through um, in your personal life, he's going to come through. He doesn't just plant these things, you know, to torture us. You know, there's, there's a beautiful plan. I've got a lovely friend um, and motherhood was very much planted on her heart and fertility treatments weren't an option. And it wasn't something that was going to be um, a path for her. And she has adopted two beautiful children 
Um, and the blessing those children are to her life. I mean, she is their mother. Mm-hmm. Those are her children. That was God's plan, you know? Um, and although my, you know, my book is really centered on my fertility story and it's called Faith and Fertility, um, you know, really for anyone who kind of struggles in their, this earthly transition, I always say we're transitioning through to our forever home and this transition, you know, is tough, right? And it really is kind of a book of, of going through those struggles and how to lean on, you know, God's words as we go through this, this earthly life and, and to be reminded of his goodness um, and his promises. That's so good. That is so good. <laughs> so good. I could keep talking for hours with you. So really quickly, I want you to tell me the one big lesson you've learned, and then I'm yeah. going to do a quick speed round with you. That's like oh the cuff things you're going to have to answer. <laughs> I'm nervous. It's fun. Okay. But tell me the, what is the one like biggest lesson you think you've learned through all this? Okay. Um, so I grew up Christian. Uh, my parents did a great job. They, uh, took my brother and I to church every Sunday. Uh, we did Bible camp. My mom, um, read us the Bible in the morning when we had breakfast every morning, we hated it, but she did it. She did the right thing. They checked all the boxes, you know? Um, but it's like, you know, so I would like, I'm a Christian, right? And then, you know, I grew up, I went to church, um, when I was in college here and there, um, when I got married, you know, Mike and I found a church where I met you. Um, and I did all the things, but it's not like I ever really felt like I was on like fire. Right. And, um, you know, my pastor was talks about, it's, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship with God. And, and I was like, okay, but I don't really know what that means. I do now. My biggest lesson was that you have to find your own relationship with Jesus Christ. You just do. I mean, going to church and doing Bible studies and book clubs and uh, small groups and all that stuff is so essential. Yes, because it it lays the foundation, right? When I'm having conversations with people, you know, God can now use this, you know, these verses to bring to me to give to other people at the right time, right? Like I can be a better tool and a vessel for him, but separate to that, um, I know him now. Mm. Now, I know him now. And, um, and I wouldn't have otherwise. And that is just the truth. You know, I came to him ugly and broken. I had really tough prayers with him. Um, and the way that he responded to me, there's just no one else that would have been to him. You know, the way that he answered my prayers, the way that he's come through for me. The biggest lesson I've learned is you have to lean into Jesus the way you lean into your other friendships, right? I think people think like it's just going to be this supernatural experience, but like any other relationship, you have to take the time. And I really believe you have to be honest, right? Like we can only be as close as how intentional are you and I, Melissa, in spending time together, right? And me asking about your life and, and you learning about mine. And our friendship is really only as rich as if. I'm fair to you about how I feeling and where my feelings are at, you know, and if you hurt my feelings, you know, I have to love you enough to tell you that, you know, and when I went through this experience, you know, I would have prayers saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm not really like a fan of you right now. Like, I feel like you're like a mean kid on an anthill and you're just like burning my butt up, you know, and I just, I don't know why I'm your target, like find someone else. Like, this is just not fun for me. And you need to show me that like, you love me and, you know, and sometimes it was silence for a while. Sometimes he didn't, you know, but then later he wouldn't. And I've just gotten in this rhythm now. Um, after that, I did a Bible in a year mm-hmm. that totally changed my life. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I make intentional time to talk to him every day. I've learned that my prayers don't have to be these long, lengthy, beautiful things because they're not. Mm-hmm. They're sometimes in the car and it's, you know, dear Lord, help me not to strangle my husband today. Um, you know, and it's, you know, dear God, help me not to, you know, break a dish because I'm so angry or dear God, help me not to punch that person in the face. I don't know. They're not all violent. <laughs> Just the ones that are coming to mind at the end of the week. Um, but it's, you know, I'm leaning in him and I'm treating him as a friend and a parent and a relationship. And in order to make that something meaningful and to really experience him, I have to be intentional with the time that I give him. And I have found that when I lean into him, my golly, does he lean back into me tenfold? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So good. Okay. You ready to do a speed round? Yes. This is so fun. Okay. Here we go. I got like, I don't know, like 10 of them or something like that. Okay. I don't know. Maybe not 10. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Netflix or YouTube? Netflix. Okay. Bath or shower? Oh, bath. Okay. <laughs> beach or mountains? I don't know. I think I'm a beach, but I'm really not okay. sure. Okay. This one is, I wrote this one, this next one, especially for you. Mm-hmm. Regular water or sparkling water? Ooh, you know what? I'm regular, but I'm going to tell you that Mike is sparkling and our refrigerator has a sparkling water filter. So I know. Sweet. I've had your sparkling water out of your fridge. Did it, did it rise to the occasion? It, it did. Oh, fabulous. Very appropriate. Okay. Ice cream cone or snow cone? Oh, you know, can I go with neither? I actually am not an ice cream person. And like okay. snow cone, I don't know. Have you ever had ice cream in the snow cone? Have you ever gone to snow, snow on the go? Okay. Gotta uh, take, it's the snow on the go. I'm going to send you that. It's the ice cream. It's the look on your face. They stuff the ice cream in the snow cone. It's fabulous. It's so good. The ice and eating the ice cream? Yeah. Your kids will love it. Hotel or camping? Oh, hotel, honey. (laughs) I think I know the answer to this one. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Okay, last one. Ready? In and out or Chick-fil-A? I'm a Chick-fil-A. Okay, okay. Well, Lauren, I have loved having you on the podcast. I'm so glad we finally got our time together and you are so lovely as always. And I love you. And I am so glad that you spent time with me. So thank you. And I hope everybody super enjoyed this episode and will be blessed. And I will see you all next week. Hey mamas, did you love that episode? If so, the number one way you can thank me is to leave a written review on Apple podcast. I love hearing about what resonated with you and how you're going to show up in the world as a God-centered mom. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Mom Squad and join our Mom Squad Facebook group, linked in the show notes. Lastly, feel free to share this episode with other moms who need to hear this message. And don't forget to tag me on your social media platforms at melissa.wheelinghead. Till next time, God bless.